Before we get into my chat with Rusty, which was taped last February in a cafe on the grounds of a cemetery in London, I want to let you know a few things. First off, I'm half vaxxed now. In the last 24 hours, I got my first dose. I hope that you are on the same path, if not already ahead of me. Also, I'm really thrilled to share this chat with Rusty with you because he's really one of the most influential people of the last 30, 40 years of pop music. If you think about the Blitz Club, the impact that had, the Camden Palace, which he ran and DJed. He DJed the Blitz Club, of course, as well, in case you didn't know. And, of course, as one of the co-creators of Visage. I mean, do I need to go on? Well, guess what? We're going to get into that and a whole lot more in our chat. Also, Rusty's story is one of never giving up and always coming back, even when people count you out, even when you almost count yourself out. So there's a lot of aspects to his story that I think are perfect for right now. And his energy is quite something. Basically, you're in for a treat, as always. But before we get into that treat, I'm going to tell you about Patreon.com slash Craig and Friends, which is the place for you to go to get loads of bonus episodes and support the show. Also, you get early ad-free versions of these episodes. Yes. Oh, and have you heard my new show with Chrissy Chapeka? It's Chrissy and Craig. Very easy to find. There's a link in this episode description. Just click on that, check out the show, subscribe, and set yourself up for delight. Between the time we recorded and released this, uh, Rusty has put together a fabulous album called Blitzed, which is the soundtrack to the documentary of the same name. So pick up Blitzed the album, go watch Blitzed, get Blitzed all of it, and enjoy my chat with Rusty Egan. My direct debit didn't go through on someone and they wrote to me today, you know, the... I couldn't believe it. One direct debit didn't go through, you know? You know why? Why? I think it's 28 days in a month or something. It's 29 uh-huh. days in a month That's now. If, yeah, because it's a leap year. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think you miss a day or something. And it throws it all Fagging, off. Yeah. But I wouldn't mind, but they immediately, uh, <laughs> you are now, you know, Mr. Bad. You uh, know. Oh, well, right. Because there's no, people don't think, oh, there must be a reason why. Yeah, there's no reason. No, it's no, a computer. You know, no, but like there must be a screw up. There must have been a glitch. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But we're so used we to now that. being like, hey, you're trying to fuck me over. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, now I like to do a little intro for everyone, kind of a go, game go, show go, type go. intro. Friends, on this episode, I am pleased to present a new romantic pioneer architect of some of the most influential pop culture of the late 70s and early 80s. A survivor of not only the vicissitudes of show business, but also drug addiction, dental devastation, and so much more. Please put your hands together and join me in giving a warm and wet Craig and Friends welcome to our guest, Rusty Egan. Wow. I've never been introduced like that before. (laughs) That's good to hear. It's good to hear. I'm still going through all of them. Number one, uh, (laughs) dental is a continued, very expensive... uh, Oh, okay. uh, 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 proposition proposition so uh hi yeah yeah we, we, we're gonna need to do this and it's gonna be like eight thousand pounds you know yeah it's gonna be weeks of visits and endless i don't uh, care weeks of visits or anything i yeah. just care about the money <laughs> um yeah is it pain too i mean does it no i don't care about pain either yeah yeah i don't can i um reiterate you there in that department um i just think of 20 year old kids going to war that's fucking pain 
Yeah, it is. And so it's good. It's knowing good to keep that, that you might not be here tomorrow. Sure. And knowing that you're just going to land on the beach and you're going to have all sorts of artillery coming straight at you. And you're like, you're, what have you got? A rifle? Right. And the terror and not knowing. And the terror. Yeah. 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 And also missing everyone that you love. Everything. Completely, Your everything. whole life. Yeah. Can ding. Or, you know, someone's got to uh, get up the beach and take out that. Uh, someone's got to do the job. So somebody has to go, come on, guys, we can do this. Well, no one's going to do that to you. You have right. to do that to yourself every day. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because we were talking before we started rolling about being an aspirational society or aspirational music yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And the New Romantic era is sort of the, the most comprehensive aspirational youth culture movement. It stopped at like 1999, you know, after uh-huh. grunge, you know, it stopped. Yeah. And I was like scratching my head. <laughs> what? What happened? Where's the next thing? Yeah. Well, um, your introduction um, to who I am, and before we spoke about who I am, I kind of said I'm the invisible man because um, I'm not attributed to being a DJ in 1979 making records. That DJs in 1979 in Detroit, Chicago, were playing. Right. And that uh, Frankie Crocker at WBLS in New York were playing. Yeah, which is a wildly influential show. Like, it was the show, right? The one. Like, uh, when you would travel, I imagine, to New York, uh, I remember reading about people uh, taking cassettes, being like, oh, we're in New York on tour. You You have to record Frankie. Yeah, and they played my records. um, And I made a lot of uh, electronic records. But I also was a DJ DJ, as in went to um, Paradise Garage because of the DJ. You know, and, and went to meet Mark Kamins at Danceteria. Uh, we became friends and through him, we both did Madonna. And now nine out of 10 people don't know that. Talk about the track that she worked on. Right. Well, she only had one track called Everybody. And she was, uh, she just was like, I know what I'm doing. No guy was having her. She was having the guy. Right. You know? Yeah. She, uh, she was an independent woman. Totally independent woman, which I love. And I love what she's about. Um, she controls everything. And uh, I worked with you too last year or the year before, 2018. And I'm like sitting here like um, dreaming that I'm going to get the call. <laughs> you know, hey, uh, we're, we've got some songs and, uh, you know, because... Uh, Unforgettable Fire was sound engineered by Mark Wallace, who's a friend of mine, and he lives in Ibiza, and he's got the villa and the studio and yeah. all the trappings. Yeah. But he and I were like uh, teenage friends. Okay. We, we, where, where'd you grow up? Uh, in Harrow, which sounds really lovely. Uh-huh. But I always tell people I live in Kensington and Chelsea now, uh, the place where Grenfell Tower burnt down. You know, okay. we have poor people everywhere. <laughs> One side of the road... You couldn't afford to live there. The other side of the road, yeah. Uh, nobody puts in any fire alarms. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny, like the town I grew up in. My par- yeah. My parents bought there before it was sort of developed. And then in the area, in Massachusetts, yeah. uh, if you just said, oh, I'm from this town, people automatically would think, oh, like yeah. loaded. But we, you know, they bought before it was uh, McMansion land. Yeah. When I was in, back to U2, when I was in Dublin um, yeah. with U2 in the, um, uh, in the 80s, I met a lot of uh, beautiful people who came from a certain part of town. And then there were other people with a strong Irish accent. And they were like, um, ah, they're from, they're from the north side. 
Whatever the south side. Yeah, yeah. And it'd be like a north and south divide. You yeah, know? sure. A bias because, just because of where you're from. Yeah, because yeah. the rich people live there. And, yeah. And it would separate you. I would, I would really hate to be a rich kid, teenager, dressed like grunge, hanging around with poor rock and roll guys. <laughs> right. And then get found out. Right, exactly. Hey, he's got health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> get him, get him. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny, and you were one of the rich kids, the band with Midge, right? The, yeah. And uh, Glenn Matlock from the but Sex the, Pistols. The C was, a, was a, a sickle, as in hammer and sickle. It represented um, uh, unification of, like, Russia. As in, we, we, we were all poor, but we had a talent. So I basically, I did like dozens of records, uh, Africa, Bambata, and hardly anyone knows. So Time Zone, right? Time Zone, Wild Style. But all the music was called Wunderwerker, and Wunderwerker's on my solo album. I even went on tour with Midjur, and most of the audience don't really know who I am, you know? <laughs> and there's that kind of thing. I well, introduced myself. Maybe it's changing now. Maybe they know. No, no, no. I've never wanted to be up the front, which is why the band's called Visage, and my doorman from my nightclub was on the front page. Yeah. That, that came back to sting me really badly. And I wanted to ask you about that. I was thinking about yeah. that today, because there's a really strange thing when you're the creator of something, but you're not identified That's right. as it. And, but yet Steve, who was also a very close friend of yours, right? Yeah, we shared a flat together five yeah. years. Yeah, um, and, then, and then later, there's uh, you guys have a falling out for a nigh on 20 years. No, 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 we didn't fall out for 20 years at all. Okay, then no. I, that's my mistake, because I watched that program where the two of you reunited. Well, we reunited. Yeah, okay. But in the 20-year period, because I had, I had basically lost everything, that's my drug addiction period, was being robbed and oh, home. Okay, yeah. End of everything. Okay. So you watch the movie, you know, you're riding high, then your best friend cheats on you, then your wife cheats on you, then you got the drowned rat scene. Yeah, right. right. It's crying raining, in the rain. And crying like, in the what rain. What happened? I don't, where is everything? <laughs> I can't. Yeah. <laughs> There's newspapers flying around. Yeah. And then uh, you end up in a bar with some cool guys and you're getting wasted and you don't normally get wasted. You wake up with a beautiful woman. You wake up with a beautiful woman and you go, I can't have this. I'm a married guy. I've got I've to get my life back together. And then you go back home, the lock's changed. <laughs> and you can't even get in your own house. Yeah, they won't even answer the door. Yeah, and she's with your buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I went back to the girl. So I wrote a song about it, you know? It's on my album. It's called Ballet Dancer. Before that, leading up to that, and give people a sense of uh, the rise to the top, and then what happened after that. So we, we know what happened right around that time. It, do people want to know this shit on this? Absolutely. No. You have to, well, what, 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 I want to know it. And so basically the show is things I'm interested in. Well, the people are interested in the music. They don't want to know the sub story. Why don't they want to? No, no, no. They want to hear about, I, I want to hear about how you um, started a nightclub. And he started with your friend, and you guys pioneered some stuff that uh, changed pop culture. Well, so people want to know about that. I think without being arrogant, I'm going to be arrogant. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I played all this music in a club. Right. In Soho originally, which was a, a, um, a rent boy club. You went there to pick up a boy. But you were wearing a suit and were Giles from Accounts. Uh-huh. Uh, and you slipped off into this little club yeah. where you met boys right. that were like Steve Strange and Marilyn and Boy George. And you offered them money. That was the old day. Sure. Um, in Soho. Uh, I took over one of those clubs because I'd had a conversation with Steve Strange and I'd been out with him to all the gay clubs. Sure. And, and you and Steve first met. 
uh, in the rich kids. He was a fan. Oh, okay, okay. He was a fan of the Sex Pistols. Yeah. And he basically, I got nowhere to stay. Well, I'm struggling to pay my rent like every other drummer in a band. <laughs> right, uh, You yeah. know, we go out to clubs, we get in, we get free drinks, you know. Sure, yeah. you can crash on my half of the bed. <laughs> so I'm sleeping with a gay guy. Yeah. But there was never, ever, because I was like that, wasn't I? I was uh, a bloke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that, go. Yeah. But I loved the gay world. Yeah, exactly. And I loved yeah. the music. I loved um, um, David Hockney. And, sure. And I, and, and I loved all the artists. And I, and I loved um, the Sombrero Club. Where um, they made Adam and the Ants video and music, but it's where where David Bowie met his designer. I met his hairdresser. She organised a night where I had uh, an evening with David Bowie in a flat in Soho. Oh, amazing! And we discussed everything. Yeah, so I'm just like a fan, really. Well, yeah. So you meet David Bowie, you're a fan. But I went to Dusseldorf and met Kraftwerk because I'm a fan. When I listen to songs and I listen to music, I can listen to. James Blake, who I love, yeah. or I can listen to James Blunt, who I love. Right. Now, nine out of ten people go, oh, James Blunt, blah, 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 right? And you go, well, that's kind of like production values, instrumentation, presentation. Yeah. But that song is still there. Yeah. That could have been Jacques Brel, mate. Well, people oftentimes get this thing about guilty pleasures and, and like, oh, we can't like this if you like that. That's all bullshit. I want to kiss you all over. Exile. Yeah. Till the night closes. Written and produced by my friend Mike Chapman. I love Who people that. know on the show. And do you know Chinny Mike? Chinny Chap. Yeah. Do you know Mike? No, I know Chinny Chap. Well, they were in LA. Okay, we're going to all have dinner then sometime. Because no, you know him. Yeah. Oh my God, he did the sweet. Oh yeah, that's I right. Know what he Tina, did. do you know all about him? Chinny you know Chap. all of his I know stuff. all about him. Yeah. And no, you're going to, we're going to have a lovely time. Oh, I yeah. love that record. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he's a wonderful man. Yeah. And not only that, I just, uh, he has so many great songs. Then yeah. I'm a student of his stuff, and I'm still finding out, like, that song by Smokey, I'll Meet You at Midnight. Yeah. Amazing stuff. I saw Smokey. saw them live. I love their sound. And he's the architect of that whole sound. Yeah. Him and Chris Norman are making a new album. I know Chris. The yeah. He's, they're Massive in Germany. And they're making a new album right now. Wow. If you're, like, in um, Ma Massachusetts, yeah. and you're looking out at Trump America, yeah. and you're thinking, I hate this. I hate where I'm from. I hate everything about it. You just have to ask yourself questions. How can I make that change? Yeah. There's art in everything. There's, there's art in suburbia. There's art in Groundhog Day. You have to look at it, you know. Even the guy from Groundhog Day was in that movie directed by that young girl. Oh, uh, uh, lost the translation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there's art in nothing. Yeah. There's, there's art. You can just sit in, in emptiness and quietness and you can find something unique. People listen to this show. Nine out of ten will go, Steve Strange, the Blitz Club, yeah. And I'll go, that's my idea. Oh, I see all these people. They dress up every night. They go to clubs. They love the music. They are tripping the light. Fantastic. Why don't we make him the face of the music? Right. When you say make somebody the face of the music, when you, when you look at Eminem, he tells you, I've got a thesaurus. And... When I listen to um, and watch the documentary about Taylor Swift, yeah. get a thesaurus. Your songs are the, the nursery rhymes of a child. <laughs> I love you as a girl and an entertainer. Yeah. And, uh, the yeah, vibe and all that. Uh, yeah, the, and the, their message essentially. Standing up for LGBTQ yeah. in Tennessee. I love everything. But your songs suck. <laughs> and Ed Sheeran.
This is my thing. It's the same in every, every genre. I, I've sat in the clubs. I've sat with those people. I've been out with all those people. Yeah. I, I had everyone back at my house after the after party. Yeah. So, Pete you know. Townsend overdosed at your club. Yeah. Right? Well, he came to my house quite a lot. And then Steve and me went back to his house a lot. Yeah. And he had a studio and, you know, all that shit. Yeah. Up all night crap and drugging. Yeah. Sure. Pete's a friend of mine today. He's still a friend of mine today. And he survived. He made it. Yeah. And Pete's still plugged into the current culture like the you are oh, you know what i mean like wide open to it yeah that's the thing it's, yeah. about, it's about staying open yeah and never dismissing stuff just because it's younger well, or it's this or that well i do dismiss um monosyllabic stuff well that's different that's that's a quality that's and, not um, just because it's a of a different era well i tell you what happened to me the other day on social media um i'm a dj no i'm not i'm actually a musician and a writer and a producer but Hey, it's easy to DJ, right? Bloody easy. It, well, is it easy? Because just like DJ Fat Tony, being I, was, I gave I was, him his first job. Right, and he told me that. On, I just taped oh, with him. He? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm he talked about. They normally don't. Oh no, he he's a very upfront about how yeah, you guys. Yeah, he said uh, he's rubbish. I'm betting you. And he he came <laughs> on and played John Travolta. I went no. I, was, I played Frank Goes Hollywood, which he probably hadn't even heard of at that time. Uh huh. Yeah. And um, I was friends with Holly Johnson. And I played all Bobby Orlando, and I played Divine, and Bobby I played the, the Flirts, and I played all that stuff. And then I had put him on, Fat Tony. He goes, you're the one that I want. I'm like, no. <laughs> But, you know, I have a night. I, I, I DJ, and I play both Bobby O and you're the one that I want. And it's, wow. yeah, yeah. And you I'm, play Fascinated. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by your love, boy. It's an amazing tune from that era. But I like the both of them, and they can work together well. Yeah. But what I was going to say is, Tony and I were talking about... Did you know this? What? Did you know that New Order, Blue Monday, yeah. in the Bobby Orlando world, Peter Hook took the bass line from a track I played oh. in the Blitz Club. Which track? Which went... We just talked about a bass player taking an idea from a film score and incorporating it into bass and putting it to a beat that could have been Bobby Orlando. That's kind of difficult and creative. And then to write on top of that, how does it feel to treat me as you do? You put all of those pieces together. You extend the mix with Arthur Baker. You flip the B-side and call it the beach. And you orchestrate it more or less, heavier synths. And you make the biggest selling 12 inch dance record of all time. Or you press pay. Yeah. Play. Yeah. For that record. But you do both things. Yeah, but not only did I press play, I segued the B side and the A side. And I synced up a TR8 drum machine <laughs> in the Camden Palace in 1980 something. And I had a mini Moog in the Camden Palace. And I used to take my records away from the actual tune and people continued dancing to me, my bass lines, my drum machines, little cowbells. Then I brought in the next flip side of the record and I used it as a sort of a bridge. Yeah. So, but, and I had a recording studio at the time. Now, now me sitting here and thinking I'm going to perform the music of Visage in 2020 without Steve Strange, without Midjure, without Dave Formula. How am I going to do that now? How am I going to do that? How are you going to do that? Well, yeah. exactly. How do you think Ed Sheeran presses all those buttons? All he's doing is looping. Right. Just looping the intro, looping the... Yeah, looping. Looping is just what you do as a DJ. Yeah, You loop right. it and extend it and add it, and all the toys are here. 
So I thought 1980-220. What does that mean, Rusty? Well, that means that in 1980, what you couldn't do in 220, you can. And I was trying to do something that you couldn't do. <laughs> How does that drum machine trigger that bass line? It can't. You have to do it by hand. And then they invented MIDI. Yeah. Ah, oh, now I can MIDI the two synths together. That's right. So bottom line is I've thought about doing Visage today, the music that I did 40 years ago. Right. All the tracks that I made were always searching. Did you hear R-E-R-B? R-E-R-B, which is the flip side of Shock. I did the Glitter Band, totally electronic, called Shock. But that was a dance troupe. I saw them in a club. I went up to them and I said, who does your music? He said, we just pick it. So I said, why don't you make your own? Same thing. Yeah. I got a guy called Richard Burgess. Ever heard of him? He was the guy who started house music. He made Colonel Abraham's Trapped. Oh, okay. I that was the tune. Yeah. That, that guess who stole it? <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. All right. How does trap go? Never going to give you up. Never going <laughs> to oh, yeah. let you down. Okay. Stock Stuck Adrian in Waterman. Yeah. If Pete Waterman's sitting here now, thieves. Just thieves. You know, you spin me round. You know, all the hits, uh, Kylie, all the hits, all stolen. Not the top line songs. Right. The idea for the songs. Sure. You yeah, know, yeah. I did so many men, so little time. What's oh. that? Oh, exactly. Yeah. With Sunita's mum. Right. I signed uh, the, the, the DJ out of heaven. Okay. He was the guy who produced Take That. I yeah. mean, finding people that are really creative in a little bar and then saying, hey, what do you want to do? Oh, if I could get in a studio. So I guess what I did to him? What? I brought a 12-inch copy into heaven of Frank Goes to Hollywood, Relax, White Label. He put it on the deck. He listened to it. He came back. He gave it to me. He said, no good. <laughs> so I said, Ian Levine. Yeah. Why is it no good? He said, I only play 126 BPM. I play high <laughs> energy music. Uh -huh. It's 114. It's no good. I said, Ian, this is a gay club. There's 1,500 gay guys out there. Every one of them will love this tune. Right. He goes, Rusty, it's the wrong BPM. I said, go off piste. Yes, that's right. Just go off piste. Yeah. Do you think I don't know what I'm doing? I had the counterbalance down the road. I was already doing Madonna. I was already doing Visage. Yeah, yeah. Like, this you kind of have a good track record. I kind of like, have a good yeah, track record. Yeah, exactly, yeah. He pushed it back in my face. said, no way. Guess what record he made? High energy. <laughs> That's Your right. Your love is lifting me Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking ripped it off. <laughs> If he hears this interview, he'll be furious. That's right. He could come on and respond. <laughs> I, I took him out of heaven and got him back into Trident Studio. And then I went in the studio, the first track, and it was so many men, so little time. That's what I heard. And we programmed the drums, you know. I also did Nona Hendrix, which was in a film in America called Summer Lovers. I think I have the soundtrack, but I don't know if I... I love uh, a band from LA called The Midnight. Uh-huh. I don't know them. You don't know them? No. All they are is like that movie. Oh, they're like, okay. they're like um, Risky Business. Oh, okay. A band that sounds like Risky Business. Uh -huh. And they, have, they even have an album where a girl finishes work in a bar, walks to a coin box, puts money in the phone box, and the guy calls, hey, you want me to come over? I've just finished work. Like a movie. I mean, their, their records are great. 
I went to see them. Their live show ruined it for me. But I know why it ruined it for me, because of the money. They can't, they can't do the production they need to do. The sax is amazing on the record. But I presume that the sax bloke on the record isn't the bloke that's going to tour. Gotcha, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? I, had this, I remember seeing Urge Overkill and being so disappointed, and then I found out the drummer's not the drummer on the, the record. You get things like that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it ruins it. It's just it's yeah. terrible, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then the keyboard player was like a kind of, looked like a lifeguard on Venice Beach in 1982. <laughs> and he had the, the muscles and the T-shirt. I didn't like it. I didn't yeah. like it. Put so, you off, yeah. So exactly, when I just told you about recreating the music of Visage 40 years later, we're all going to be on in line. There is no star. Sure. You know. Yeah, it's about the music. It, but if I can get GoPros on our equipment, yeah. then you can see us doing it. Right. And this is all very important to me. And I do. I go and see bands like The Cure, and I'm just watching Robert Smith and some blokes. And then that's what I call all of them now. Uh, simple Minds. They're not Simple Minds. I'm a friend of, I'm a friend of Derek Forbes. Uh-huh. Go and see him. Okay. If you want to hear Simple Minds. Go and see the drummer. So is he not with the, yeah, yeah. what's the drummer, Mel? They left. They're all gone. So it's just Jim Kerr and- Well, uh, I don't get it, right? I, I, I- Don't go see Wang Chung unless you know both of them are there. They were doing a package tour, yeah. right? And so they had a night off, so they were at Viper Room. And it was billed Wang Chung's cutting crew. It should have been Wang Chung and members of cutting crew because- It wasn't it was, a singer. No. No, he's in London. And he, there's a blonde, the blonde guy from Cutting Crew doesn't look that dissimilar. So for three minutes, yeah, they I'm, all do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was watching it and I'm like, something seems and off. Wet, wet, wet. Oh, I, okay. Did they, they got not? some bloke who looks like Marty <laughs> Pello. It goes on and on. Terrible. This is a, an area. I don't know if you've got the time in his interview. Oh, we got all the time in the world. Yeah. Okay. Well, why is Rusty Egan performing Steve Strange's music? Why is Mijur performing Steve Strange's music? Have you seen the mid-year 1980 Visage Vienna tour? Well, Rusty Egan was on it for the first 22 dates. Uh-huh. But as, as second drummer, as in, they got a drummer. It's called mid drummer. mid and some blokes. So mid and some blokes go around the world performing mid music. Yeah, which is okay because Which it's... is okay because he's not saying I'm Ultravox. He's not saying I'm Visage. He's, he's been saying up front. I'm mid Yeah, yeah, exactly. So why do people even say, why is he performing Steve Strange's music? Because he's not. He's, he's performing playing... his music. Exactly. Right? Let's get yeah. that clear. Yeah, exactly. There's a difference. But, and then when you, when you deceive people, then you, you disappoint them. Yeah, when you get that uh, look-alike. Okay, right. If Rusty Egan went on stage and DJ'd, and played all the records that he remixed and mixed and created. Yeah. Including U2, La Rue, you know. Yeah, the list goes on. The list goes on, all right? Yeah. Visage, everything, right? Sure, I could DJ an 80 set incorporating a load of my own music. But you might say, can you play Blondie? Oh, can you play Blamont? Oh, can you play Kraftwerk? Oh, can you play Madonna? Yeah. So why would I go and DJ a DJ set with nearly all my own music? When I can go and DJ an 80s DJ set. From all over the... From all over. Yeah, play yeah. Japan. Yeah. You know, yeah. play Georgia Moroda. Play, you know, we'll always be together and have everyone loving it. Yeah, yeah. Go, no, no, no. I want you to hear my song. No, because that's the yeah. ego and it's exactly. nonsense. Yeah. So I don't do that. I go and do exactly what they want, you know. and play Small Town Boy. And I play Enola Gay. Yeah. And everybody just loves it. Having a wonderful time. But that's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. But you go to my mix cloud and you hear a load of stuff. You go, wow, what's that? I didn't know that. You know, that's the place for me to do that. 
And then I have a radio show where I've discovered a dozen bands that are then touring with Majure, Human League, Erasure, because I'm like now bigging up um, Depeche Mode to take Empathy Test. So I remixed some of these bands. I made an album, a collaborations album. It's called Welcome to the Remix, uh-huh. where I work with all these people and remix them, produce them, write with them. So I'm shining a light on them. Now, I'm in a cemetery. And Jim from Simple Minds is worth 50 million quid. And I'm worth not even 100 grand. Uh-huh. Okay. Nothing. My publishing makes me nothing. All right? I don't make any money out of music. I make money out of being a DJ. If I was worth 40 million quid, I would not be going out on the road with 200 quid a night musicians. I would be going, Mel... The boys, let's get the band back together. Guys, let's do it. I don't care if it's going to cost me two grand, three grand. I want you. Yeah, you want the original I want the original guys. Yeah, exactly. And if if I saw a poster that named every member of Simple Minds and Mick McNeil was on keyboards, Uh right? You know what I mean? I was going, Mel Gaynor on drums. Oh, my God, you know. Well, that would be Simple Minds. So what? It didn't gross the amount of money for the singer and the guitar player. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you're going to be in a bloody grave in 20, 30 years. Yeah. I want to get into band dynamic because this is what we're talking about now is uh, about how ego overrides the ultimate just, uh, quality goal. But can yes, I just please. stop you there? You two are an example of that. Okay. You two are what Simple Minds should be. And their audience have been with them for 40 years. And even Led Zeppelin split up because they couldn't replace that drummer. And this is the difference. Yeah. That's why I'm worth nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, go on, carry on. Well, you know, we're talking about that. And uh, yeah, like you two made the smart move. Everything was split four ways. And Ultravox. Yep, there you go. The trouble uh, started to brew with Visage when what? Because you guys... There was no trouble. I'm a DJ in a club. Yeah. And I'm a drummer. I'm only DJing in a club because rich kids split up. So Midge gets a phone call from Phil Linnett. Can you jump on the Concord and learn the whole set? So Midge says, project's on hold. Billy says, Gary Newman has invited me on his tour. Project's on hold. John McGeer, right? She's in the Banshees. Someone yeah. wants John McGeer. Yeah. So basically, me and Steve were running this club so we had enough money to live. Yeah. And I was writing songs. So, you know, I went to Berlin and I wrote Blocks on Blocks, looking over Daimora, the wall. I had words, I had ideas, I had, you know, Moon Over Moscow. Yeah, yeah. I had all these ideas. And I'm DJing, I'm playing music by Yellow Magic Orchestra, and I'm playing music by Yellow. I'm, I'm trying to get hold of all these bands, all these people. I'm promoting Soft Cell. I'm doing everything. I'm really busy. So the Visage album took a year to record. When we made the album, we all agreed, written, arranged, and produced by Visage. Six ways. Everything was agreed and done. Billy comes back from the tour with the idea for Fade to Grey, which I then go, get my girlfriend to talk on it. That'd be beautiful. I've got an idea. Give it four to the floor and a hi-hat. Okay, let's do that. I'll do this massive drum. We do a whisper, Fade to Grey. You know, I'm, I'm involved in everything. And don't forget, I'm thinking 
I'm in for a share of everything. Of course. But none of us thought like that. Yeah, it you wasn't just, about, well, I'll hold this back because I'm no, not going to make the... Yeah, yeah. 21, right? Yeah. No, you just say, we're all splitting everything. Right. So anyway, the whole album's done. It's all finished. I'm playing Fade to Grain the Blitz Club. Everyone's coming up to me saying, I love this tune. I'm going, it's us. It's our record. Spanner Ballet have sort of haven't even made a record. I introduced them to Richard Burgess and they start to do, to cut the long story short, Anyway, no one, boy George jealous. Everybody <laughs> hates everybody. <laughs> Bitching. Steve's going to make a record. Uh-huh. We're going to do the cover. I'm taking this photograph. So off he went doing his cover. We're going to get a video. We didn't have any money. We had nothing, you know. Right. Anyway, manager comes back, Thin Lizzie's manager, and says, here's the deal. Midge Billy and the bloke from Gary Newman wrote Fade to Grey. Oh. And the dancer, I go, yeah. Well, that's just you and Midge, right? Because you already done that. And I went, yeah, all right. But Midge is 75% of that because we manage him. Oh. Yeah. So basically, thank you, Chris Morrison, Uh who went on to manage Blur. You came in and you finished Visage with your greed to manage Ultravox. Gotcha. But we shut up. We went. Oh, well, Midge, Midge wrote it. He wrote the so word. So what's the big yeah, deal, what's you the know? Big deal? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like the dance a bit. It's fucking instrumental. <laughs> but if you're their manager and you want to do that, you woke me up. You woke me up. But anyway, sure, we'll sign that. Let it go. That was my alarm call to, well, that manager loves you. Yeah. Or does he love Midge and Billy? Yeah. It's going to be over. Because uh-huh. he... Ultravox had done Vienna by now. Right, right. And I was with them in LA, 1979, at a Whiskey A Go-Go, and I was staying at the Tropicana, and Midge and I were going down to Orange County to Disney World with a couple of girls that we'd met. <laughs> Valley girls. <laughs> and we were singing Happy Days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We are just lovely. We were really best friends. Yeah. You know, and like I said, the manager did what he did, but we went, yeah, all right, fuck it. He wrote, he, he wrote all the words. Yeah. yeah. So what, what's the big deal? And, yeah. Uh, what's the big deal? Yeah. You know, great. Uh, and not only that, I got a phone call, join the skids. Okay. So I, I made the skids album and went on tour. Yeah. So, and he went off with Ultravox. You know, we were all in other bands. Yeah. And you're all so, busy yeah. and moving. And the manager yeah. was like, hey guys, this, this record is flying in France. Oh uh, yeah. You're getting heavy rotation. Germany are loving it. What? Yeah. And basically, we're all surprised. Yeah, yeah, shocked. At the, yeah, yeah, shocked. yeah. Because yeah. you, you're basically, you're making something that I imagine you think, this is going to go down well at the Blitz. Yeah. You know? And make Steve, uh, you know, famous. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The brother of uh, my girlfriend said, hey, man, all over France, they're talking about who's that girl. She didn't get anything. And I'm a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) So I went, you know what? You better call the manager. And I support you 100% because he is a... Yeah. You can anyway, say you can say that word. It's not yeah. it's not the BBC. We can say that. So yeah, but I don't need to. So the point see you really next was, Tuesday essentially point, is what you're yeah, saying. The yeah, the point was he he was 
you know, he smiled at me for 30 years. He hated me. Uh-huh. Real, to be real. The manager. Um, well, yeah, but all I've, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you who hates me. People that did bad to me. Yeah. Only people that do bad to me. Because they know they did bad. And I am not quiet. And, and, and people keep sending me messages on social media saying, why are you so horrible about Steve Strange? I said, well, we're sitting in the cemetery where my wife is. And she left us in 2011. And in those years where we had nothing, Steve Strange received all John McGeeck's royalties. Really? Steve Strange royalties, Dave Formula's royalties, Rusty Egan's royalties. Yeah. And he lied and lied. Wow. And then I didn't say anything when we did that reunion thing. Sure. We'd had a meeting where he agreed, okay, I'll pay 50% of what I make uh-huh. from the next Visage album, number okay. four. The Hearts and Knives album? Yeah. Yeah. I'll pay 50% of that to pay back the money I owe. And I said, okay, I've written some songs. And I submitted a half-written song, Evermore, which features Emily Kavanagh from Nightclub, a band from L.A. that I love. Uh, that was the first song that I wrote. When I say I wrote, I write with Chris Payne. And then I, I'd met this guy called Arno Carstens. Yeah. And he had a song called Dreamer, which he did with youth. And I loved the song. I thought it was like um, Depeche Mode, Enjoy the Silence. I thought, this is, what a song. And I said, I should do it like Enjoy the Silence. I should do it totally. I said, well, why not I just do it with Visage, uh-huh. with Steve Strang? Yeah. So I basically started upon writing all this music. And then the guy that I introduced to Steve Strange to finance the project yeah. said to Steve Strange, but why do you need Rusty? You are Visage. They're just hired musicians. So why don't we hire some musicians? So Steve called me up and said, I'm not going to pay you a penny. Oh, God. And not only that, I've registered the name The Blitz Club Ugh. and Visage. And I said... You've got no talent and you can't sing. Good luck. <laughs> right. And then I released Welcome to the Dance Floor. Yeah. And then every single Steve Strange fan hates me. Well, hold it. Um, how do I put it? In, the, in the, the bad years when nothing's coming in, no royalties, no publishing, no gigs, nothing. Yeah. I had to go and DJ and play Rihanna records to people right. in clubs. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, drugs and alcohol. Yeah. That was a seven-year period in my life. Okay. After I'd lost everything. I didn't drink in the Cameron Palace. I didn't drink in the, I didn't take drugs. Wow. I didn't do anything until I was 29, until I looked in the mirror and thought, I've been robbed. Yeah. They stole everything. Yeah. Now, it's devastating. But hold it. Hold it. <laughs> uh, we're sitting in a cemetery and you're going to go, you're going to get into a grave. Not even a grave. I'm just going to have a little jar. <laughs> not even a great. Okay, but hold it. Here's the moment. It's not. Here's that that moment in that Disney movie. The moment in the Disney movie of Rusty Egan's life is to leave the keys to your house with your gold records on the wall, with all the furniture in it, and with your baby that's three months old, and say, "I'm going to start again." This is a a nightmare. Yeah, you can have it all. Uh huh. Like. Like Marvin Gaye, who I met in London when he was fucked up 
and he hung out in the clubs and he told me about his album where Barry Gordy fucked him over for everything. You don't know if you know about the, that the album. Hear, the Hear My Dear album, right? Hear My Dear. You got it. <laughs> you got it. Let's explain to the folks who might not be familiar. It was because he was married to Barry, Barry Gordy's, Gordy's daughter. Yeah, and he was caught out, right? Uh, yes. Cheating. And so the uh, Barry said, all the money from your next record is going to go That's to right. my, da- uh, my uh, daughter. That's right. And so he made a concept album about the breakdown of the relationship, right? It was the breakdown of his whole life. Sure. And yeah. he was in London hanging out with us in the embassy club, coked up. A genius, a hero, a god, yeah. reduced by love. Very good. He killed that guy. And he didn't have to. He didn't have to. I've, I've written um, on uh, one of my albums, something called 21 Years. Uh, and I set it to music. And then I didn't say it. I had it read. Uh-huh. So that's the difference between being a creator, a writer like Chinny Chap or whatever. Yeah. Somebody else says the words. Well, it's the same with an actor. He said, I just it's say the, same the words. Thing. Somebody yeah. wrote it. Yeah. So I, I write and, and I con- concept. So Visage was part of my concept, yeah. obviously. Which, yeah. Hello, Mitch. Why don't we get him to sing? Shock. Oh, they dance around, but I'll do the music. Ronnie, she, she's a girl who looks like a guy and she's called Ronnie and her voice is low and she lights a cigarette and she, oh, yeah, lounge singer. Brilliant. Yeah. So no, all, all the things I do, have thought behind them. It's about the music for me in the end. And like we can sit here and talk about, I want to kiss you all over, a a guilty pleasure. Those guilty pleasures are musically touching you. Yeah, they're art. It's art. art. And there's nothing guilty about uh, beautiful art. The Walker Brothers I used to play in the club all the time, who inspired David Bowie. Oh, yeah. And then Midjur had never heard of No Regrets when he did the cover version of it. Oh, wow. You know, hadn't he said, my God, I forgot about this song. I was playing Jacques Brel, Amsterdam. I was playing, uh, does people know that Jacques Brel wrote Non Qui Papa, If You Go Away? You know, Mike was playing that for me the other day. You know that song? Yeah. Keep Papa. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And did you know uh, Le Vion Rose? Sure. You know? Of course. Yeah. I didn't even know Lena Lovitch wrote part of Sarone, Supernatural. Oh, isn't that wild? I never knew I that. know. I didn't know until I a couple of years that. ago either. Yeah. Yeah. And I signed the guy who wrote Lucky Number with her, Jimmy O'Neill from the Oh, Silences. wow. Okay. Yeah. I signed the guy who wrote um, a B movie, Nowhere Girl. I signed Clark Datchula from when he was 18. I'm an A&R guy. But I don't fit into the music industry because I don't stick my nose up Barry Gordy's ass or anybody <laughs> else. I cannot work in the music industry with those schmucky, horrible people. Yeah, weasels, so I, weasels, I, narcissist weasels. I'm an anarchist, yeah. yeah. I can sit in a cemetery with a cup of tea with the sun shining and have nothing in the bank and not care. Why? My, I just told you my rent check bounced. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah but only because it's the 20... Ninth Ninth of the month. Yeah, yeah. There's no way that I live beyond my means. Right. But there's also no way that I do anything that I don't want to do. I met this guy in LA and I, and he's the the LA 80s DJ. Okay. He's got books out about him. He's, I think he's English. Anyway, I I follow him now. I went to see uh, OMD and we were in in the. What's his name? Is it Richard Blade? Yeah, Richard Blade. Okay. So I met Richard Blade. Yeah. And I just thought, he has this life of the radio 80s DJ dude that I don't want. You can have the car, the valley, the light, go to the opening of the 80s night, listen to my new album. I worked with you too last year. Yeah. Yeah. I was on 
you know, Ibiza Chill Out albums, my U2 records. Yeah. You know, I've got messages from Bono saying, Rusty, when I heard your tune, it reduced me to a puddle. It's so beautiful. I've, uh, I've got mixes on my, um, that you're not allowed to listen to. They're not released, but you can listen to them if you subscribe. Okay. And where can and, people do that? Let's yeah. throw that in now. Tell people where to go. Well, you go to Mixcloud. Okay. But where, where do they find Eden. you? Okay. So just you just find me. Sure. You can only listen to it if you're a subscriber. I did another girl from LA called Kid Moxie. She's just done a movie soundtrack and uh, she works with um, David Lynch Foundation. Okay. And um, I did a track with her and we got it on the Buddha Bar album. What's your radio show called? Where can people get that? The Electronic Family Tree. And where is that available? Uh, Artifactor Radio, but it gets uploaded to Mixcloud. Okay, so that's there as well. And then it's on my Mixcloud. Oh, great. Okay. So again, you just follow me on Mixcloud. But no, look. This has been a long interview. Yeah. And, I and like, there's actually a couple other things I want to chat well, with you about. I'm going to yeah. let you do that now. But what I want to tell you is, because we're in a cemetery and my wife's in the cemetery and I'd like to be with her. In 21 years, which I wrote, it says I'm only halfway through. That everything I've done and everything that's happened to me and, any, and you, the listener, everything that happened to you is part of the movie called Your Life. Is that the end of the movie? Is this the Disney crying wet dog drowned rat scene? <laughs> How many scenes do we cry before you see the light? Before you see the importance of why you're here yeah. and what you're supposed to do? Right. And how whatever you did, even if you're a guy in a supermarket, you touch people. And you, your vibe, oh, that guy's really fucked up. He's really angry. He's really miserable. He's at right path. Yeah, but his wife died. Oh, yeah. No, okay, I accept it then. Well, No. That was 2011. No, you have to get up every day and start life from that day and say, hey, what shit's coming on my door today? (laughs) And everybody in the movie theater goes, you can deal with it. Yeah, that's right. You know what to do. You can. You You do know what to do. Yeah. Listen, mate, I'm not talking about go run a five mile, you know, I can't run for a bus. No, you got to get real here. When I say you can do it, when somebody says, will you perform the visage music? And I go, how am I going to do it? Well, that's all that research I'm doing. And then you look at, well, how does Eminem do it? How do they do the Super Bowl? Yeah. How do they put that stage up and take it down in 15 minutes? How, how do they do it? Maybe contact somebody and they tell you some information. Well, the way I look at the movie of your life, if you're listening to this radio show, is you've started on a journey, destination unknown. Right. Life is the journey. You don't know where you're going. And you don't know when you're going to get thirsty and tired and robbed and wake up and your car's been stolen. Yeah. All the shit that goes with the journey called life. But you're still on that journey. Right. It doesn't end halfway down Route 66 in some sleazy little fucking B&B. Unless you decide it does. Well, you're taking the easy way out. Why would you do that? We're all in. We just bought some more popcorn. We want to see the end. <laughs> That's right. We want to see the end. We yeah. want to see you get out It'd of it. It'd be that. a shit movie if it just stopped yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'd be a shit movie if it just stopped there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's the point. The point is we have our Disney drowning dog moments and floating children's toys moments. Yeah. We have the tragedy. Yeah. You know, like in, in that movie with David Lynch where they have the car crash and the girl's walking around putting her finger into her skull. Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. there's horrific tragedy, but it was just a car crash. You can make more out of it. 
Yeah, and there's a oh zoom in on a child's child's um toy. Yeah. Like they do in plane crashes. Yeah. You know, hey, we're uh, we want to get more readers. You can make more make a song and dance about your tragedy. Yeah. Or shut up like I did. <laughs> right? Until you get to bus pass age. Yeah. Then you're like some old veteran going, Well, I could tell you a few stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't tell us your stories about the guy who carried his own arm <laughs> yeah. in and then had it sewn back on. <laughs> so the point really is it's about that the poor me, poor me, poor me a drink. First of all, you don't need a drink. Right. Second of all, you're not poor. When, when I walk past a homeless guy, I go, he's got limbs. Far, wow, he could actually walk. There are people who can't walk and they're not begging. And they go, yeah, because he's got pride. No, it's not about pride. I was homeless. What? You know that? Yeah, it's all right for you. Well, I was homeless. Well, well, how did you get out of that? I went down to the council and said, I'm homeless. And they said, get to the back of the line. And I was there for eight hours. You know that one? No, I didn't know that. No, that's how it works. Okay. When you need something, yeah. anything, yeah. and you're in need in this country, even worse in America. Oh, much worse, yeah. When you're in need, something in you as a person becomes like, uh, you watch those um, pet rescue shows and you see those animals and they're, 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 they've been living on the streets and they've been beaten. But that's the same for human beings. And they get picked up and they get showered and get taken care of. Yeah, that doesn't happen to human beings. Right. They wish it did. Yeah. They just get thrown in a cell. They get cops beating them up. They get junkies. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And they're like dying. Yeah. Then when you go, we made a movie about it here. A British director made a movie about a guy who had a heart attack. Uh-huh. And he went down to the, uh, I'm not, I can't work. And they go, well, we, we don't give you any handout. And he's like, well, I've worked my whole life. And I'm entitled. And they go, yeah, but you have to fill in this form, this form, this form, this form. And you have to go through this really demoralizing, horrible. Nine out of ten people go, you know what? I don't need this. I'm going home. Yeah. And a month later, I can't pay the bill like me. Right. And then you get a reminder. Yeah, but it's only a leap year. But what about if I couldn't pay the rent? Right. What about if I didn't have any work? What about if I had no food? Then you're in need. Then you have to go back again. And then it's the same guy going, hi, did you fill in the form? You have to say, I can't read. Somebody told you that. What? I can't read. I need assistance. Oh, you should have told us that. And what happens is you end up, oh, that worked. Like Ricky Gervais. Yeah. The film about lying. Uh-huh. And suddenly you go, I've got to lie. Oh, okay. And, and, and I'm physically, I can't, you know, and they go, well, have you got a doctor to prove that? And you go to a doctor, you go, I, I can't walk. And you have to lie. Yeah. And the guy goes, do you need a sick note? Yeah, I need a sick note. Ah, you need a sick note. Here's the sick note. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you yeah. lie your way back into the real world, <laughs> yes. which is supposed to be living an honest life. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you work out that nobody's honest. They're all lying. Right. All the politicians, all the systems, all the, the banks, everyone's a liar. Yeah. And you go, I, that's where I went wrong in the movie. Yeah. I'm yeah. so honest. <laughs> I was honest all the time. I want uh, to celebrate 
only this year, 40 years since, Midjur, Rusty Egan, and all the musicians, in between all their other bands, and yeah. in between DJing at the Blitz Club, made some amazing music. The first two albums, obviously, the next album sucked. Because it was all over. Yeah. yeah. But it had some good ideas, including Love Glove and yeah. Yesterday's Shadow. Okay, so let's just stick to the first two albums. Yeah, right? The Anvil and, and the first record. And Pleasure Boys was quite good, and The Break was a massive... Yeah, 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 okay, fine. So... No, you're not allowed to do that because you won't be Visage because Visage is a name and the name is a brand. And the brand was registered in 2009 by John Pitcher, who owns Visage in the Blitz. I said, I don't care. Sue me. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Stop me performing my music. Yeah. Yeah, but we're going to go. Go ahead. Right. And then I'll get a letter from a lawyer. I'll go, fuck off. <laughs> I'm performing right. my music. It's mine. I made it's mine. it. Mine. I made it. Yeah. And yeah. not only that. Steve owes me 118,000 pounds plus 50% of the income of everything he made from all of those other albums. Have I asked you for a dime? No. Because as far as I was concerned, it wasn't Visage. It was Steve Strange with a bloke who stole the brand, called it Visage, put his picture on the cover, and guess what? I think he stole off Steve. Why not? Why if, not? He's, if, if that's the way he operates, of course he's going to do him too. Yeah. Yeah, you're all thieves. End of the day. We made and wrote the music. Like I told you, I wrote Blocks and Blocks in Berlin. You know, Steve wrote the lyrics of a song called Tar. And then I got told by Andy Chazowski, who managed uh, Adam and the Ants and was the owner of the, um, the Vortex Club and the Roxy Punk Club. Okay, yeah. Andy yeah. and the Fridge in Brixton. Uh -huh. Really amazing guy. He said, oh, that song came from the band with Vince Ely. So I don't even know if he wrote that. But um, he said, I've got an idea for a song about smoking. So we said, all right, we'll do your song. Anyway, without bitching, because I don't like to bitch, um, as I said, sue me because there's nothing. You can't get anything. <laughs> you can't get anything anyway. Yeah. Warner Chapel, I hate more than anyone. Really? Because they stole my catalogue because I signed Soft Cell. Oh. Imagine being on stage with Mark Harmon. They make an announcement. He sold uh, 60 million albums. And you go, oh, what was my share of that? Yeah. And then you go, nothing, because they robbed it. You know. So um, I just keep saying that. And I keep asking Warner Chapel Music in New York uh -huh. to show me how you managed to acquire 100% of the music publishing company started by Rusty Egan okay. with Rusty Egan's advance from Visage. So why... Did Rusty Egan sell that company for no money at all to who? Right. You? Yeah. No. Just, just because? No. No. Because the chairman of Warner Chapel Music, Peter Reichart, and Jean-Philippe Iliesco de Grimaldi, my partner from the band Space, the manager, yeah. were best friends. And they had dinner every night. Out on my success. I signed Yellow. I yeah. signed all these artists. I yeah. signed Bill Laswell. Ever heard of him? Well, of course, yeah. Yeah. I signed all these people to yeah. my publishing company. Yeah. I had Disco Rough. I had uh, Alan Vega. I had Celluloid Records. Yeah. I mean, I had so many. And Time Zone and yeah. so much stuff. Um, I signed Specimen from the Batcave Club. I had John Klein, who left Specimen and then joined Susie Nabanchies. I had The Silencers, Jimmy O'Neill from Scotland. I had a B-movie who went on to write here with me for Dido. I signed songwriters. I signed yeah. bands that had a guy in it who could play and write. Yeah. So anyway, all that, everything. It's taken. 
taken by Warner Chapel Music. So did, what, did they forge signatures or yes. something? Okay. But they won't show me the documentation, will they? So all I've said, I've only got one question. Show me that. How'd you do it? How did you do it? Yeah. And they won't. You know why they won't? Because they know how much money it's going to take me to get them to do it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So what I do instead, lovely listeners, is I tell you that the whole world of music industry is over because Spotify is owned by them. Universal Music Group, Bertelsmann Group, Sony Music, they own Spotify. Yeah. They own the shares on the stock, okay? So if Spotify goes up or down, they the shares on the stock is where they make their money. Sir Lucian Grange is the man who's the genius who worked out that you own the copyrights and you pay the musicians nothing by using Spotify as the nasty people. Uh-huh. Spotify are not the nasty people. They're just some nerd called Daniel Elk who got rich by saying... I'll be the nasty guy. What do you want me to do? We want you to pay the musician zero 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 point zero 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 point zero zero point seven. Yeah. Which they divide amongst them all, including their own record label and the producer, which means they make nothing. But we own the copyright. Now, every time you film a band and you share it on social media, up pops copyright. Copyright, you can't share that song. Every time you put something on YouTube, you can't share that song. Copyright, copyright, copyright. So here's the deal, kids. Do not do any record deals with anyone. Own your own record. Yeah. Own your own publishing. Own your own copyright. Right. Okay, so now I own everything, but I'm in my bedroom and nobody knows who I am. I know. But guess what's coming? There's a new railway line being riven. You know when they built the railway and you had a piece of land out west and it meant nothing and all you could do was put cows on it? Well, now you can build on it because the railway's coming to town and the railway's called the Blockchain Ethereum Platform and they're already up. These companies are up. And ADU, A-U-D-O-O, they are putting a device... When you own a bar, when you own a store, when you own anything that the public go to, you pay a PPL license, a public performance license of music. Yeah. If you show up at that bar and you sing your song, your song will be registered as being performed in a public place and it will earn money. If a thousand people sing your song, that money will go All to you. No middlemen. There will be a 15% admin charge for all of these companies. But all of the money will go to you. If you write one song that becomes a hit song in a bar and it's played in 500,000 bars, you will make a living without even releasing it into the public domain. If you release it into the public domain, you'll get 000.7 from Spotify. So you go, well, why don't I just put it on my own platform? Right. And you put it on your own platform. And with your own money, you pay a guy to take it to the radio called a plugger. Yeah. You pay a guy to get you interviews. You pay people. So the more money you spend on marketing yourself, and then you say, yeah, but my dad knows a guy in the movie business, and I sent him an email with a link to my catalog, and he 
now through a smart contract is using my music in a movie and he's paying me. And when people shazam it in the theater or when they're watching a movie, it takes them to me, not Spotify, not Apple, to me. Yeah. So there are no middlemen. And I am not far from a grave, but I'm telling you that before I go six foot under, I want to make sure that every musician owns his copyright and that person can make a living from their talent alone. Yeah. And that with technology is here and it's here today. And just follow me on social media and you'll get all the links to where to go and how to do it. But most important, get a lawyer. It's that simple. Yeah. Before you even go on any site with anyone. You know why? UJO Music, the pioneers from 2015, have already been bought by Capitol Records. What? They were going to be... Yeah, that's right. But when somebody comes along and says, we'll give you $10 million, and you're a bunch of nerds, <laughs> you go, that'll do nicely. Yeah, right. And now they've been bought. So... I've got my album on Uju Music. I'm now on Capitol Records. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want to take it off. Right. No, but you, you did a deal, Ha <laughs> You didn't read the small print. That's a big thing because uh, there's a lot of times where you didn't read the small print and, and you got screwed. Well, even if you read the small print, have yeah. you ever heard of um, Possession is Nine-Tenths of the Law? Okay, yeah, I have. Yeah. I owned a nightclub once and my landlord wanted to repossess my nightclub. So he could go in on a Sunday, change the locks, uh -huh. and say, I'm the king of the castle. Now kick me out. But I could go in on a Monday and change the locks. So he'd have to put a security company in there, some six-foot guys. So I could bring another security company and say, hey, guys, you're being paid. You're being paid. This could go on for weeks. Okay? Or I could take the whole summer off and say, see you in court, and spend no money on legals. Just get that date in court. Okay. In that time, he will do everything he can to make sure you don't get to court. Right. That's what sort of happens in the criminal world. <laughs> Witnesses, people have accidents, they never made it to court. Yeah, intimidation. Yeah, intimidation, uh, winding up notices on your companies, tradesmen, all sorts of crap. So the guy throws everything at you. On the steps of the court, he's ready to do a deal. Because you got that far. And he knows that you're not backing down. Well, he knows as soon as he walks in that court, his lawyer fees are up, everything, and he can't win. Yeah. He knows yeah. he can't win. Right. But he tried everything to get rid of you. Every weasel, dirty Every move. Every weasel, dirty yeah. move on you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I've been through loads of that. Oh, That's yeah. all in that movie called Rusty. And guess what? It didn't end. The movie didn't end. You know what happens? I handed the keys to another guy. I won the nightclub, but I also won my clean time. I was now a year clean from okay. drugs and alcohol. Okay. I didn't want the nightclub. But you weren't going to let it be stolen. I wasn't going to let it be stolen. So I gave the keys to another guy. And that guy took on the debt that I had uh -huh. from people that I could not send letters to. Because obviously, when he repossessed my nightclub, you know, I, I was running a business. Yeah. But I was bang on the gear. Yeah. I had to sort my life out. And what gear was it? What were you? 1994, June the 28th. You yeah. don't forget those dates. Right. Yeah. And October the 1st, 1995. But my son was born on the 3rd of September, 1995. 
and I'm clean on the 2nd of February, 1996. Well, congratulations. Uh, happy anniversary, yeah. by the way, because it's just past that. years, yeah. Yeah, congratulations. No, what, what, was the- your, what were your using habits, though? Like, when did, cause I you was did- a party guy. Well, Come yeah, on. but it, that didn't start until uh, after you were already in the music business, you're DJing and everything. So yeah. you start uh, uh, around what age, and what did you start with, booze and coke, or what was the habit like? Um, I didn't drink, but um, I took ecstasy uh and i found seal oh i wow. took seal to the deal adamski all the rave djs i was out every night i was at all of the raves i yeah. was at all of the stuff and i was a raver sure absolutely paul okenfold my friend i was at all of those early raves yeah and um i'm running around record companies i couldn't get him to sign the buddha bar can you believe that i'm now homeless fuck everything but it doesn't mean i can't spot talent Right. Right. And then you're running around a rental company saying, I found this guy. Yeah, bye. He's that guy that fucked up. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on drugs. He's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's had it. He's, he's over. He's had it. Yeah, he's yeah. over. What's yeah. he talking about? Some guy, an African guy with like scratches on his face. He had a song called To Me You're a Sparkle. I went to Beethoven Street Music. I took it around to an Irish guy called Liam Teeling at Psalm, where yeah. I'd made a couple of tunes with them. Um, because of another Irish guy called Dave Robinson who had stiff records. Oh, okay, yeah. So I went around there and said, guys, but, you know. So hey, was, that, was that Trevor Horn's studio? Trevor Horn's studio, yeah. He made all his money out of seal, mate. So anyway, the point is, I found him, but I didn't get nothing. But I forgot about it, meaning I was wasted. Yeah, we don't have to pay him, you know. So basically, I was like this loser that was saying, check out the Buddha Bar album, Claude Charles. The DJ from Le Privilege in Paris. Amazing album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bye, bye. Shut the door on your way out. That kind of shit. So uh, I went to a nightclub. I could fill up a nightclub with other fucked up drug people. Uh-huh. So I made a living. Yeah. So I stayed in the nightclub world. And I kept trying to get out of the nightclub world, get back into doing music. Yeah. But those doors were shut. Right. You know, and it's hard, and to, then, get, it's hard to get out of that world too because... Your hours are a certain way, and also you're using. Down, yeah. yeah, and then um, Rob Rob Holden uh, had a guy called David Gray. Oh yeah, and um, Rob Holden he he managed a band which I toured. The bass player from Adam and the Ants. So we were sort of close, but his wife was the best friend of the first wife of mine, who ruined my life. Uh, well, I ruined my own life. I married her. So the point was, it was kind of like a bit, a bit. Yeah. Well, now I'm now I'm Mr. Big. Okay. Tables yeah. have turned. Yeah. So I've you got to come knock on my door. And I remember when I had a band, you didn't give us a lift or something. Well, hang about. I gave you the whole back line, man. Yeah. What are you on about? Yeah. We did tours together. He's a really cool guy, Rob. I'll give it to him. And his wife was adorable. It was just some an animosity. Yeah, because yeah. Because now you're not high right now you're low yeah and now i can now kick you kick you yeah yeah so i was like he's just covered say hello wave goodbye i own that song so i went to warner chapel and they were like whoa 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 uh, yeah yeah don't know no we own everything now and you kind of look like you're fucked looking at our records we could uh we could give you 15 grand right now for your own publishing, which you got anyway, and let's just not go into how we acquired. And uh, my friend was like, Rusty, take 
the money. I was going, no, 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 I want to know. I want to know how did they, you know, yeah. how did they steal my company? Yeah. Rusty, this is like, take the money. You can't fight them. They're you too big. You can't fight you're them. Fucked. You're, never, you're fucked. Yeah. yeah. So I'll get, the, I'll get the money. I'll get the money. So he got the money and he said, I'll give you 200 quid a week of your own money to help you get back on your feet. So I got 15 grand. Yeah. So they essentially bought you out. But they didn't that. buy me out. Yeah. They told me to shut the fuck up. Yeah, okay, so it was hush Don't, money. Did you have to sign anything? No. Okay. I was an artist signed to my own publishing well, company. Well, no, I know, but like I'm saying, did, you, did, did, did well, they you trick you into signing something? I rang up was... Steve Strange and I said, I just got 15 grand out of Warner Chapel Music. Yeah. Your contract's up on the same date because I signed you to me. Give them a call and get 15 grand. Thanks, Rusty, I'll do that. When I signed my own contract to me, I signed myself only for three years, three years, three years options. But when I signed Soft Cell, I signed them for 25 years. <laughs> no, but hold it. You could get life of copyright then. I wouldn't sign any artist to life of copyright. And they were screaming at me. I said, no, 25 years is it. And I gave them my advance from Visage. Visage was already number one around the world wow. when yeah. I started my company. So said, so what do you want to do with your money? Buy a house. I said, no, I want to sign Soft Cell. So that's why I'm so angry. Of course, understandably. I used yeah. up my own money. Right. And then got screwed out of it later yeah. on. Yeah. And then when the Visage album I got royalties for, the first two albums, I bought my house. Okay. But then that's the one where I left the keys and my gold records. Yeah. So by 1990, I got no house, no publishing, no studio, no money, no job. I'm out. I don't take drugs. I don't drink. I'm out. And I witness the advent of Acid House. And I'm like, it's here. Yeah. The next generation. Yeah. It's here. And I'm running around record companies going, sign these DJs. And they're going, schmuck, sign a DJ. <laughs> is he, is he crazy? You know? Yeah. So basically I was in, involved with raves and all that. And the only live artist that showed up was Mr. Monday, Adamski and this bloke called Seal. So I said, sign Seal. We're watching the football, man. You, you know, you want me to come to a, a rave in a field at midnight? <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like calling some New York broker in that film, Margin Call. you got to come back into town from Connecticut yeah. uh, on Friday night. You know, are you joking? It's the weekend. I'm with my wife. Blah, 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 right, blah. Right. No, we got a problem. you got to go. No, no record company A&R man was going to go to a field in the middle of nowhere sure. to hear some singer. And, of course, I was high as a kite. I did find <laughs> D. Ream. Have you heard of them? No, I haven't. He wrote a song that Tony Blair used, Things Can Only Get Better. Oh, okay. I know that. Then. But in yeah. the meantime, it was all Oasis and yeah. um, Stone Roses, which was brilliant. So, no, um, no, the interview, you know, I've the movie of my life, at the same time, the listener, the movie of their life. I'm sure they've got stories that if they told me uh, with a camera, and there were tears, okay? What I want to do is I just want you to say to yourself, cut. I want you to understand that, that we dwell on, i.e., some people have buried their own children. Right. And I can't fathom how to deal with that. I can go to a cemetery of a granddad. But you can't feel can't the... fathom yeah. how... You deal with life. Right. And you look at hospitals at Christmas. You don't look at them in July. 
and you see kids with bald heads and, you know, drips, and you go, oh, it's Christmas, I can think. People deal with that every day. Yeah, yeah. People have got children that they've been told might not make it to teenage years. Right. And then you're like, oh, i got a problem. I can't get those trainers that cost 200 bucks yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You're, you, you are in your world. And the movie of your world only means to you. But we're watching your world. And we're going, can't you think of other people? Sure. You know? And you, don't you see those celebrity type people that are going through a terrible time because the press are in their driveway and you go, you have a driveway? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, and, about, it's about compassion. Yeah, they're like, uh, we were in our holiday home and somebody knocked on the door and, and they were telling us about our husband who's having an affair in his New York penthouse apartment. You're like, your world is not the real world. There's no pain in that world. Yeah. There's, you know, you buried a dog once. Well, I mean, but it's real to them, though, because that's the other thing. That's There's, what I was trying to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Real to them. Yeah, real to them. There's and, like ours that are real to ours. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I like, I like the fact that my reality check, my homeless moment, my drowned dog Disney moment yeah. was a moment of realization. And when I inherit more enemies, because I thought, the truth hurts. So why don't I just go back to being that honest guy? Because I had to lie to get back into the world. Sure. And then now I'm back in the world. Yeah. Now I'm honest again. So uh, are you homeless? Yeah. Well, actually, I'm staying with a friend. Oh, you're not homeless. Uh, no, I'm homeless. You got nowhere to stay tonight. Okay. We're going to put you in a sleazy B&B with some guy next to you who thinks he's Jesus. I don't care. I can deal with that for 12 hours. Yeah, I'll do it. And you get to the sleazy B&B and the guy goes, if you sign in, you just have to come back in the morning and sign out. And you go, oh my God, oh my God. You mean I don't have to be in a room with Jesus? And he goes, no, no, no. This is how it works, man. This is yeah, how it works. Yeah. You sign in and you sign out. And you go, oh. Then I go back on my mate's sofa. Yeah. We get paid. Yeah. Oh, it's a system. It's a system. Right. He goes, yeah, we're a B&B. &B. We just get paid $16 for the night. We don't give a shit if you're in the room or not. So what I'm saying is you learn from your world, my, my normal world of what I was in before, there's another world. And there's, a, there's an underground street world. And you go on the street, you don't sit there. You got to ask the guy who sits there if you can sit there. Right. And he tells you what hours he sits there. <laughs> and there's a cash point. Yeah. They like, they, they're on rotation. That's a 24-7 cash point, man. Times right. Square and money. They're like guys working that shift, man. I hope that when my music thing and my beggar thing, I wanted contactless for beggars. They've now got it. Really? We got it in the UK. So I wanted that. I created something called U-Busk. Uh-huh. The guys running U-Busk have now taken it to another level. But it was just my chatting to a guy sure friend of mine yeah and i only own 10 percent. but the idea was there's no difference between a busker and a homeless guy but the busker could be next to a homeless guy and the homeless guy could say tell me your story the guy could write a song what happened my wife left me 
got kicked out of the army. I didn't get paid. My credit rating went. You know what I mean? Yeah. And everyone's got a fucking story. That's right. And it's all because of they, yeah, we didn't you know you could sign in and sign out? No, nobody told me. Oh, didn't you know you could just go and say I'm a homeless guy when you're not a homeless guy? Didn't you know you could just go to a doctor and say I'm sick? I didn't know that. Well, this is how it works. Didn't you know you could get a guy to the steps of the court? Didn't you know he'd do all sorts of shit to you to try to make sure you can't get there? Didn't you know how the world works? The world works the way the world works. And we are just like wandering around thinking the world's a lovely place until our bag gets snatched, till our partner cheats on us, till the bank calls us, till the job's no longer. I talked to a Uber driver in San Francisco who never heard of Elon Musk. You know what I said to the guy? How much do you spend on gas in a year? Yeah. And he was like, well, I don't know. I said, let me tell you something, man. If you're going to pay 50, 60, 70, 80,000 for a car. Yeah. And you're going to sit in it for the next five years. Right. Because you got kids. Just do the sums. Yeah. He said, I can't afford that car. I said, you can't afford a house, but you live in one. Are you telling me you're going to do 80 hours a week sitting in a car, taxed, filling it up with fuel, paying for services, oil checks? All of it. All of it. Yeah. For the next 10 years, name me a a, a cab driver who said I only did it for a year. Every single one of them. Name me one that's been doing it for 20 years after they said that. Every single one of them. Yeah. So have a plan. Well, no, if you're going to start something, you say, the world has gone electric cars, mate. Why would I be even into all this stuff if my life was over in 1994? Right. This is the next bit of the movie. And we don't know the finale. That's right. And there's always good things to come from bad times. That's the other thing. And watch Michael Moore. Yeah. And, and, and watch the great, um, the great, um, hack. There's so much stuff out there telling you. Yeah. Watch Ali, Ali Ocasio Cortez. Watch how she will be in the White House in the next 10 years. Yeah. Watch how women are going to be empowered. Watch how women are going to run the world. A beautiful, wonderful place. Yeah. Men, gray haired old fossils. Stick, get rid of them yeah. now. Yeah. Anyone over 65, bye bye. <laughs> Go away. Yeah. You, the world of the future is for the young. It's not for you. You had your day and look what you did to it. Right. Where 16 year old kids are winning the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Because they told you, you, what have you done? The dollar, the dollar. Right. But that yeah. kid told the truth. That kid told the truth. You can't beat the truth. Never can. No. But you can Hollywood it. <laughs> you can say, hey, kids, throw in a few more. Yeah. How, about, how about a few tears? Yeah. <laughs> really play it up. Yeah, really, really get, play yeah, it up. Go for the heartstrings. Yeah. Go, They're so, going to love it. So yeah. just think when you're listening to this radio program and you can't pay the rent, just think there's a camera on you and there's a director going, a few more tears, a few more tears. <laughs> or you can go, well, the sun's shining and I can walk. What I used to do is I used to go to prisons. A guy would say, hey, Rusty, can you... Uh, can you come and do a talk in a prison? And you saw all these malnourished people who had skin that looked like chickens. Yeah. Been eating the worst food in the world. Yeah. You know, playing table tennis and, you know, been in a gym. And their world is that of an animal. 
Yeah. And you felt for them. Right. And then you said, but that's the guy who robbed you, stabbed you, did whatever the shit. Yeah, because he's a drug addict. So I was on a drug wing. Then I used to come out and say, I, I failed with my rent check this month, or I didn't get paid, or that didn't happen. And I'd say, but I'm walking out of a prison. <laughs> I don't have to stay here. I don't have to stay here. Yeah. I can go to the kitchen and make myself something while I'm on Netflix. Yeah. I can go online. Yeah. I can do whatever I like. That's right. I hate America. I hate those fat donut eating, horrible, <laughs> racist people. You know, if you said to me, Rusty, do you want to come to LA? I'll put you in a, a San Fernando Valley. I stayed at my mate's house on Mulholland Drive. And all I could think about was Mulholland Drive, the movie. And I was like, <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah. I wasn't like, well, I want to live here. Yeah. I want to have that view. I want to own this studio. I want to jump in the pool. But you can sit there and enjoy the view. No, I don't want to be in America. You, oh, you don't. Okay. I hate America. <laughs> I Not even LA? You don't like LA? Down and out in London and Paris, right? I cannot eat in a restaurant and look out the window at starving people. Yeah. I have never been to India. I don't want to go to India. There's lots of restaurants, lovely places in West Hollywood that have a very limited view. So you wouldn't have to. I know West Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, no, I, know, I know. I know. Yeah. I know LA. What I'm trying to tell you is. I know. I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm teasing if you. I, if I see an African-American walking in Beverly Hills, he's a suspect. You can have a, a white man with an open gun. Yeah. No, it's mental. He can walk anywhere. Yeah. He can go anywhere. Black guy with a gun, he's shot. They don't yeah. even ask a question. A black guy with a sandwich in his hand can be shot. I saw the guy trying to eat a sandwich on a platform in New York. Uh -huh. He got arrested. Yeah. No, I hate America. And I hate America because Americans hate Americans. They hate each other. The, the rich ones hate the not-so-rich ones and the billionaires. They all, they, like, well, they, that's what, that's what, that's what Trump has capitalized on. It's all about fear of the other, uh, hatred of that that is not your own. And, and that's what people really voted for. A country that had a possibly a million people on the streets on February the 14th, 2018, because... I think something like the 100th school shooting and Bob Geldof wrote, I don't like Mondays and he won't play it on the radio. Those kids showed me, me, that there is a generation of American kids yeah. that don't want this. That's right. And they, they got together and they got some political people out of their jobs. They kicked some ass, those kids. They really got it together. And then they stood on in, in, and they shared their grief and they shared it with such compassion yeah. that millions of people took to the streets and the White House wasn't in. I'll tell you what we do. We get some pretty, pretty girl who works for the National Rifle Association. We put her on the TV. She'll look pretty and tell people, hey, an American without his gun is the Second Amendment. Yeah, that was a country that ran slavery at the time. You needed a gun. Right. You needed a gun because you were the most evil, horrible bastards ever. And you treat, treated people less than animals. Of course you needed a gun in the house. Those kids lost their friends. But they created something that the White House doesn't care. So my real worry is why has Trump spent $33 trillion on rearming the American 
um, army. Uh, who is threatening America? Trump is threatening America. Well, only when Trump goes abroad into Iran, Iraq, or somewhere, or goes to Tel Aviv and says, we're going to move our embassy to your real land and makes all these... I mean, the guy doesn't even know the map of America, let yeah. alone the map of the world. Right. You know, um, who, who, who doesn't know the Kurds, he doesn't know the Turks, he doesn't know the Ottoman Empire, he doesn't know... Anything. He doesn't yeah. fucking know anything, he didn't go to school. So we got a program, a radio show, where you're interviewing a washed-up has-been <laughs> um, who told you quite simply that in 1989, 1990, um, had everything stolen off me and then ended up being like, oh, he's a has-been guy. I'm still friends with every musician that ever knew me to this day. Yeah. I did not rip off anybody to this day. And I was 20 years out of the business from 1989 to 2009. In 2009, I remixed Moby. So what happened in those 20 years? Well, you know, 20 years is like going to prison for 20 years. <laughs> it's a long time. Yeah. And then... Like I said, I came back, found out all the more tragedy, and, and Steve Strange had robbed me, and yeah. the guy that robbed me, I, I don't want to go into it now. Yeah. But what I'm trying to tell you is, never at any, any time, at any of this, did I ever think, end of movie. Right. You never, never gave up. Never gave up. Never get. Well, here's the point. What are you giving up? You're giving up on life. Hold right. it. You're going to wake up a homeless guy. Well, homeless guy's been waking up homeless for 20 years. You, you're going to wake up one day a homeless guy, uh, and then you want to kill yourself. No, you're now just homeless in that horrible thing called your life. Yeah. And you can still turn it around. Yes. There's, so always, there's always a chance. There's always a way. You end up in prison. You can still turn it around. So I started a company, which is still running today, where yeah. I manage hairdressers, photographers, everyone out of the clubs. Yeah. I started a company to do that. All these things that I did. Yeah. Here's the best thing about that. The person that runs that company today now manages Gok One, okay? And that company paid my kids' school fees. She was the best friend I could ever have had. And uh -huh. all I ever did was say, let's start a company and manage all this talent. Right. And then, but you're running the company and you're managing all the talent. I should just take my money back. And she was like, yeah, but you're my partner. What do you want to do? And she's paid my kids' school fees. It's all about doing the right thing. I got the payback, like you yeah. won't believe. There's, and there's payback out there. And I, you know, I hate to end the conversation, but we've been given the, the time yes. warning. But I want to thank you for having uh, this wonderful conversation. And I look forward to having further chats with you. Well, all I hope the... you don't edit it and I come out of it smelling bad. Oh, yeah. No, this whole thing is, a, is an attack piece. Maybe the political shit. I don't care. Just no, no, no. I edit the show, but I, ju I, don't, I don't reframe anything people say. I just... Um, I edit it to sculpt it a little bit, but I don't take, it'll be the way we talked about it. And so unfortunately we do have to end because uh, yeah. that there, but uh, I want to say thank you. Thank you. And, and we'll do a quick nice promo video. Nice nail varnish, I like Th it. Thank you very much, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, cheers, Rusty, and we'll talk again soon. And after the episode, we went and had a lovely pizza courtesy of Rusty. So thank you once again, Rusty, for a fabulous afternoon, a wonderful show, and a really delicious pizza. Now, go check out Blitz the album, Blitz the documentary, and then go to patreon.com slash Friends.